Welcome to the Westminster Effects Doxology Podcast. We explore popular practices, songs, and ideas in the modern church world in light of Sola Scriptura and Post Scriptura. I'm Cody Fields, the president of Westminster Effects. You can go buy stuff for your guitar at westminstereffects.com. Get it in time for Christmas. Uh, make sure you join the group on Facebook. It's Westminster Effects Doxology Podcast Lounge. And make sure also you subscribe and you comment and you share the show. Share our social media posts. Share them in your stories on Instagram, all that good stuff. Yeah, in person I'm joined by. Hey, it's Bradley Cox, pastor at Resurrection Church in Greer, South Carolina. And we're not joined by the newest admiral in the great Navy of the state of Nebraska. Is that how it went? Something like that. John Ross isn't with us today. (laughs) It's close enough. Uh, It's close enough. Um, (laughs) So Christmas time is here, is upon us. We're doing the Advent thing. Uh, But we had a question that does apply to Christmas because Christmas is full of traditions. Mm. Uh, whether it's Advent candles or whether it's even acknowledging Christmas in the first place, some some faithful churches don't even acknowledge Christmas, mm. um, which is okay, um, depending on your on your reasoning. Uh, so Damon and I'm gonna just demolish this name, Damon Lichtblau. We'll just go with that. <laughs> asks when is it time to walk away from tradition Hmm. and it seems we've talked about some of this kind of stuff before uh, but there's always a new angle to explore Uh, at the same time I think our current cultural situation probably asks that question a little too much honestly right uh, we want to do away with every tradition just because we can. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then there's also, I think, different levels of tradition. For example, Second uh, Timothy 1.13, Paul is commanding Timothy to follow the pattern of sound words. So that's where we get creeds and confessions and catechisms and stuff. And then there's everything else under that that's not as important. So, mm. so some traditions, yes awesome some traditions yes are stupid yeah (laughs) some traditions you should just get rid of but i think it's possible that our eject button might be a little too hair trigger these days yeah and you know it it might be helpful just if if i'm going to attempt maybe a root or foundational kind of definition for traditions yeah is that we they are traditions at least in terms of maybe the church but other other entities as well it it there're ways in which we laud celebrate rehearse and meditate greater realities mm-hmm. right yep um like like we'll just take a, a secular example a, a college football team has traditional ways of Inviting fans and players alike to celebrate the greater reality, which is the school and the athletic program of that school, right? Not just the tradition itself. So whether it's a, you know, a school like Clemson where they have the tradition of running down the hill, singing the alma mater, it, it at, doesn't stop there. It doesn't stop there. Uh, and sometimes those traditions do change, and sometimes they last for 
decades and decades. Um, because I, I particularly remember in Tiger Rag when the when the woos started. Yeah, yeah. Before spelling out C L E M S O N. Yeah. And there were a lot of people who did not like that at all. I still don't like it. And and that's fair. Yeah, I still I'm, don't like it. I'm kind of ambivalent. I can yeah. go either way on it, honestly. Yeah. But um, it's one of those things that what was that about 20 years ago now that that kind of started and now it's just kind of ingrained. Yeah, and, and, and that and, tradition morphed. Yeah, and and, and it was traditional um, at Clemson University for the football team for the uniforms to get changed up. Uh, randomly and at different points, and and just because there was a big game coming up uh, of of some sort, that the uniforms would change, mm-hmm. and and it was almost like a weekly thing. What uniform are they going to wear this year? Right. But then when Dabo Sweeney took over, they changed that tradition to a new tradition, which is there are certain uniforms worn at certain different yep. different points in the season. So all that to say, traditions are are ways in which we laud and celebrate and um, in some cases, meditate on greater realities in the church. That's certainly true. Um, and I think that why, if, if I start with why might we be too quick to hit the eject button, I think that there's a cultural problem there. So we live in a day and age where the latest and greatest is the most important. Mm-hmm. And we, we are so accustomed now to things coming at us so fast, so fresh, uh, in 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 bite sized pieces, and um, you know, pun intended. There, um, it, it's a it's a it's a constant stream of information, and we 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 really aren't. I don't know. It's almost like we've been rewired. Yeah. To not not pause and celebrate and meditate greater realities longer. And even within, this is kind of a funny example, even within the latest and greatest and newest, you still get traditions within those. Uh, And and this is the dumb example. So um, my wife and I, to blow off steam, will play a little Call of Duty online. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Right? Mm -hmm. And uh, and believe it or not, Kristen's actually pretty good. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> wow. I don't even know. I've never played Call of Duty, so right. I don't even know how you get good at right. it. Right. So, you know, first person online shooter. This mm-hmm. and, and the newest one that they just put out is back to their World War II roots. Okay. And that was one of the things is, oh, they're getting back to World War II, mm-hmm. right? As opposed mm-hmm. to the more modern stuff or the futuristic stuff. Mm-hmm. And there are times within Call of Duty's somewhat controversial history where people are like, this doesn't feel like a Call of Duty game. Yeah, right. <laughs> so even in that, you develop certain traditions. Mm-hmm. And even, you know, whether it's video games or music or whatever, mm. uh, whatever cultural thing is going on, there's something that pulls us to kind of a almost like a standard, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. I, so I guess if we get to the question is when is it time to abandon tradition? Uh, I think that's something you got to be careful with because um, sometimes the problem is not the tradition, the problems us, you know, if it, it, at Christmas and at Advent, uh, we sing certain hymns that some of which we call Christmas carols, which I, I really am almost at the point where I want to abandon that term. Yeah. Cause they really are Christmas hymns. They're Advent hymns. We just did a Bible study a few minutes ago and we sang hark the herald angels sing. That's, that's a, that's an Advent hymn of the church that lauds the incarnation in a, 
beautiful way. I've almost gotten to the point where I classify Christmas carols as the like holly jolly Christmas, like the that totally, you know, the the not theological, not religious yeah. type of Christmas e song. Yeah, and there's there's a place for those. Yeah, we just went to built the Biltmore House in Asheville, and on Sunday, and they they have all. I think there were sixty six Christmas trees. Oh wow! In the house that were each and each tree or room where there were trees was themed after what they said a different Christmas carol, and but they had in that category of Christmas carols uh, have a holly jolly Christmas and angels we have heard on high. Right, and I'm like, it's no, not those are not the same thing. <laughs> So my point is, it you know the problem might not be the tradition. Stephen, our worship minister, every week this Advent season has been admonishing the church to not fly through these hymns that we sing every year. Yeah, that we tend like "Joy to the World" or "Hark the Herald." We tend to just fly right through those and not think about the words. And even the tradition at that that my family took part in on Sunday was hymns and hops with mm-hmm. their Christmas mm-hmm. edition. Uh, they always start out with the doxology mm-hmm. and then they always end with uh, reciting the apostles creed and then singing it as well. And then singing the third verse of it as well again. Mm-hmm. So the, my sin, oh the bliss of this glorious thought, not in part, but the whole is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Mm-hmm. Right. So they always end on that note. <laughs> Yeah. Um, and you know, if if you have a problem with that tradition, then you might need to. <laughs> well, and, and that's the point is that you know a good tradition may never need to be thrown out. Yeah. What might need to happen is that uh, first, or at least attempted, is that I first consider how my thinking or my 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 complacency has has maybe been the the root cause of why that tradition isn't helpful to me anymore right uh doesn't help me celebrate for example the the great reality of the incarnation of christ um that the problem might be me and sometimes i think we've even talked about this on the podcast in the early days is that if you just slow down and read the words of these great christmas hymns and pause and meditate on them in fact i'm i haven't said anything to anybody but um, at least publicly, but I think the Sunday after Christmas, which is the 26th this year, I'm going to exegete Joy to the World, mm-hmm. the, the hymn, and at least portions of it, and root kind of similar to what we just did in this Bible study with Heart the Herald. It, it root that thinking in the Word of God. Yep. Because the singing Joy to the World at Christmas is a good tradition. And even if there might be some who sing it casually or flippantly, I don't think the problem's the tradition. The problem's us. We just need to yeah. reconsider it. Especially because that song is post-mill. I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> Isaac Watts was a good Puritan. <laughs> so True that. But. Yeah. But, so but, when would we throw it out? Um it, I would I would start with if it's found to be abjectly unbiblical. Absolutely. 
that would uh, be, that's yeah. that's kind of a no-brainer i would think but uh but i did have a conversation with a guy about a month ago where where he was a pastor at a at a rural church um and he was having a conversation with a with one of their deacons and this was a kind of like a deacon ruled church you know with one of those and it was kind of a bad situation he said you know the bible says right here and he pointed at the bible and he said that's not biblical and the deacon said we're not going to talk about that mm. you know yeah that's bad yeah that's a bad situation but there might be you know sometimes i think um th- this is the best example i can think of right now but Sometimes a tradition just needs a, a refresher. Yep. For example, um, it's traditional uh, in most churches, and it's true of Res, that before the sermon, the text of that s- sermon, the main text of that sermon would be read, and then teaching would follow. And for years and years and years, if I was the one teaching – I would read the text from which I'm going to teach, and then I would teach. Now at Res, and this is a sort of a, a refresh of that same tradition, is I have one of the other elders or someone else in the church, occasionally it's been a non-elder, mm-hmm. read the sermon text, and then I will stand up and teach on that text. Right. And the reason I did that is not because the tradition of the teacher for that morning or service reading the text and then teaching was bad in and of itself. But I felt like we needed a way to refresh ourselves in that when the word of God is taught, what's perfect, what's infallible and what's inspired and what's life changing are the words that God by his spirit inspired the authors of the Bible to write, not my commentary or whoever happens to be teaching that particular time is commentary. Right. So I wanted us to be refreshed in that same tradition um, and, in one sense, resurrect the strangeness that God has Mm -hmm. chosen the foolishness of preaching and teaching uh, to build up the church in the faith. Uh, That's that's amazing. That's mind-boggling. Right. And 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 now, not just using one in the foolishness of preaching, (laughs) but... Two idiots now. <laughs> to say, and, I, and, and we've said this to the church, and, and you know, it's something that we're probably going to have to keep repeating occasionally, is we've said the reason we're doing that is so that we would put a distinction between the, the reading of the Word of God and the commentary on the Word of God. Mm-hmm. Because one is fallible and one is not. And we need to just know in our minds, I want my church to be like the... Uh, Bereans in Acts 17, when Paul taught, they searched the scriptures for themselves to see if these things were so. Right. That's the way the congregation should be thinking every time the word of God is taught. What's read is infallible. What is said is not necessarily infallible, and it's only worthy to the degree that it speaks well of what was written. And, and one of the other just tangential benefits is it it forces you even for the sake of not being awkward to read bigger chunks of scripture. So like Sunday, we we're going through the book of Ruth a chapter at a time. Mm-hmm. Andy reads all of Ruth three. Mm-hmm. If he had read one verse and then this is the word of God for the people of God, thanks be to God. And then you get up and that's all mm-hmm. <laughs> that's awkward. Yeah. It is. Well, why did we have one guy get up there to read six words? <laughs> 
exactly. And, you know, I, I, I think you and I have talked about this many times. I, I would say that it was traditional, um, more traditional than not traditional in the, the course of church history since the book of Acts for lots of scripture to be read when the when the yes. church is gathered, when oh, the church yeah. congregates, more scripture than not being read. And I, I tell you, one of the best compliments that we have gotten at Res in the last few years, I got it just a couple of Sundays ago and we took in some new members. And one of them said to me, you know, in the, I think, year that this particular couple had been at Res, she said, I, I grew up in, in, a, in the church all my life. Uh, have worked in the church, served in the church, but she said, I've heard more Bible in the last year than mm. I have my entire yep. life in yep. the church previous. Yep. And that, to me, is like one of the, the – she didn't say, you're teaching. Yep. She said, I've heard the scriptures more and more and more. And because, I'm like, like it's, it's not uncommon for Stephen to do an entire psalm for a call to worship. Yep. And now we're doing an entire chapter of Ruth. And Now, this was pretty funny, so – friend of mine uh who we've had on the show you missed that week but everett hennis who is a uh, a pastor in the orthodox presbyterian church i told him about our our ruth series and how i was excited that we were doing an entire chapter in a sunday and he was he he's always sarcastic he's like what do you think i do every week <laughs> he's like that's normal for us yeah 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 <laughs> but and that's yeah, good yeah that's that's fantastic which I think, you know, it, it, again, when do you abandon a tradition? Um, I, I think I, I would be really cautious about doing that. I mean, there are some traditional things that um, I think come and go because they're not as rooted in Scripture or in church history as others. Yeah. Um, you know, most things that we develop right now are really developed out of a sense of pragmatism. That's right. Does it work? Is it attractive? Right. Yeah. Uh, and, and we actually used to do this where uh, now what, how we open our service is we have announcements up front, uh -huh. technically before the service starts, mm -hmm. right? And then we have a call to worship from Scripture, and then we play a song. Yep. It used to be uh, that we had the countdown, and then we just started playing. Yep. Yep. And and you know it's it's the the banger song. Yep. <laughs> the the big first song to get your attention. And mm -hmm. there's nothing necessarily evil about that. No. Because there's there's no real there's no scriptural prescription here is exactly the order. You have the elements given that you have to have in worship, right? Mm -hmm. Singing mm -hmm. and prayer and sermon, sacrament, whatever. Um which those things are not just traditions, those are biblical. Right, those are commandments. It's biblical for us to sing. It's biblical for right. us to read Scripture. But, biblical but what you don't have is you have to have it in this order. That's it, exactly it would be right. entirely biblical to have a sermon up front and then singing afterwards. Sing afterwards. Um, it's, it's also biblical to just start the service technically. Uh, but there's something beneficial and very, very helpful of having you know what's called in more traditional circles the invocation you yes. invoke the name of the triune god to uh seat us in heavenly places with jesus which is 
Okay, there we go. <laughs> Bradley's screensaver popped up, and we freaked out a little bit yeah, about the yeah. recording. Um, that's probably going to get left in there, too. Uh, but we invoke the name of the triune God, and from there, he calls us to worship. Mm-hmm. And then from there, we start worshiping. Yeah, and I think you know that change for us, yeah, that's a really good example. Really, that change was motivated just by being sensitive to how we might best serve and care for this congregation yeah you know we we have a sense obviously because we we gather every week and we know the people we're getting to know people we have a sense of what how we might best serve this particular and it and it just happens that this is a pattern that's been followed for a really long time but it just we got to a point where it made more sense for us to look let's get the announcements in one sense out of the way and then let's have a thoughtful, meaningful call to worship instead of just the countdown hit zero and we click off a song and go. Hey, welcome to the church and let's sing some stuff. We just felt like our res church needed to be more thoughtful there. We needed to be n- not not be under the pressure, which it's not a bad pressure to to come out of the countdown with a big, you know, loud, aggressive song. We just that we did that for a while and you know, I'm not saying it was, you know, not helpful to our church. It was, but this this is where we are now, and it's it's a it was a change in tradition of sorts that uh, we felt like yep. served our body, and and we still often set up our our set list for a bigger song up front normally, yeah, but not having to run away with it when the countdown hits zero means that we're not we don't feel as restricted. To do that anymore. That's right. Because uh, we we started with uh, King of Kings this week, which is not a big song immediately. Yep. It gets bigger, but it doesn't start there. Yep. Yeah, and it and it was powerful, you know. And I think yep. you know Stephen read from Psalm twenty five, I believe it was, to open the service, and then we went into that song. And yeah, I just I, th- I think you got to think about traditions as being something that is um, it. it it's like when, you know, I've said before, my role as a pastor, and I think anybody that, you know, serves in a stage ministry type thing, for lack of a better term, on Sunday morning when the church is gathered, uh, we're like waiters and waitresses. You mm-hmm. know, we serve up the right. gospel in song, and we serve up the gospel in teaching, and, and uh, we pray for people. We're, we're, we're waiters, and the traditions are almost like the platters in which we bring out the the plates that yep. are full of the of the food, the meat, the bread, right? So those platters at times are going to need to be changed. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes it needs to just be like a little fast food tray. Yeah. And sometimes it needs to be like the really nice sterling silver. Yeah, that has engravings on it that 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 speak of the the quality of what's being served. Yeah. And the and the 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 majesty of what's being served. You know, like that. You know, we. We might be pushing this analogy too far, but there, there are some, you know, I, there are times when you break out the fine china. Right. And it has meaning, it has depth. You know, the fine china in my house resides in a cabinet that was owned by my great grandmother. Mm-hmm. And the fine china that we have is the same fine china that Mary's grandmother had, the same type that her mother also has. And so there's symbolism and meaning and depth. So when we pull that out, we don't want to, we don't want to just fling those plates around. Yeah, those plates are treated with care, and, and you're not going to put Taco Bell on it. Exactly. <laughs> I'm going to cook a 12 to 14 ounce ribeye. Yes, sir. And 
Yeah. All right, let's go to the Inquisition before I get too hungry. Mm-hmm. This is the Inquisition where you ask us questions and we answer them on the fly, which honestly isn't really any different for Bradley and John than the rest of the show. I'm really the only one who does any, any semblance of preparation. I don't even really do all that much. But as is tradition, we're going to start with Brian Morris. We're not going to break that one. Someone might kill us over that. Uh, <laughs> and, he, and he asks a, an interesting question that, that I have thought through myself being post-mill. He asks, why are some post-mill theologians and pastors so pessimistic? Even if the world appears to be falling apart, why not rejoice that Jesus is the king who is holding that world? Um, he says, why, is po- why are post why Some post-mill theologians are kind of pessimistic right now. And I think... Now, I thought you guys were the happy guys. Yes. There are some... And, and I think particularly, you know, as much as I have benefited from the likes of James White, uh, he is more pessimistic on the side of uh, where the world is going right now. Uh, he's, I think he, he skews a little imbalanced in thinking basically we're all going to end up Gestapoed <laughs> within the next 10 years. Um, and then there are some like Doug Wilson who are saying basically America is under judgment, which I could get on board with. I don't think that's necessarily pessimistic. Hmm. Um, so I think I think we have to categorize our pessimism uh, where, you know, some I think I think James White has a little imbalance. I think Wilson's dead on with saying America is under judgment in some sense. I won't go so far as to say I know exactly which ways, <laughs> right? But when you see some of the nonsense going on in the culture, it is in free fall. And God causes that to happen. You know, he declares the end from the beginning. He, yeah, anyway. Um, but what you do see is long-term optimism from both White and Wilson, Durbin, Joe Boot, uh, Etc. Hmm. Gary Demar. Uh, even even if we understand, yes, things in the West are kind of dumb <laughs> right now. Uh, in the long run, it won't be at least in that regard. Uh, and that's where you get into things like Christian Reconstructionism. Hmm. You know, uh, it's like after uh, after World War II, Germany had to be rebuilt. Hmm. After this thing collapses, it's going to need to be rebuilt. So how do we go about doing that? Yeah, I don't know, man. I struggle with this right now, to be honest with you. I don't, I don't have the answers mm-hmm. um, because I, I, I don't think pessimism is biblical. Right. And at the same time, I don't think um, tremendous optimism about Western society and culture is biblical necessarily. Right. I think that you, you, this, and this is again, not, I'm, I'm not critical of post-mill. Um, and, but I don't identify as post-mill, uh, at least not yet. And in large part, I think that's because what I see in the new Testament primarily is this, you know the early church and the early church apostles uh, living under and living in and under cultures and governments that um, they would have every reason to be pessimistic about. Right, and they weren't. Right. I also see them li- li- living under 
governments and and cultures and societies where they could have made attempts to ascend into positions of influence and power in order to take over and Christianize it. Right. And I don't see them doing that either. Right. What I see them doing is is seeking to participate with Jesus in making another kingdom not of this world known. Mm Mm-hmm. And a kingdom which eventually will take over all the kingdoms of the earth will, will will manifest as the kingdom over all the kingdoms of the earth, which it already is. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that will be fully known and seen. And that that to me doesn't at least I haven't seen where that fully squares with post mill. Sure. Um, and so I think th- I think some of our some people who buy into the post mill argument take things either too far or think it's going to happen like. In two years, yeah. Which no no post mill theologian or pastor or what have you is actually going to buy into that. Yeah. Uh, where where I would point is you know yeah the early church was living underneath uh, a lot of suffering a lot of persecution uh, but then they just kept growing yeah and, and it's not so much that they took over it's just that the culture got changed because the church kept growing. Yeah. And so you, you see all of the, the laws about like baby abandonment mm. get overturned. Right. Yeah. It, which is kind of like our modern row. Um, you see stuff like the Colosseum, uh, where that ends up not being a thing anymore because of the influence of Christians and, and, and on and, and on. And that's a worthy argument. You know, yeah. I just read this morning with my wife where Paul goes into Philippi and you know, it it starts out it's such a frustrating beginning to the second missionary journey, yeah. Uh, with the split between Paul and Barnabas, and then you know they Paul and Silas and and presumably Luke at least at some point start off on this second journey and they're prevented here they're stopped here they they end up going to Macedonia to Philippi and there's not even enough Jewish men to have a synagogue. But yet they start to minister and live there, and when they cast the demon out of the fortune teller girl, her owners say to the magistrates, these men have come and disturbed our city. So they're obviously disrupting right. the societal norms. They get thrown in prison. There's an earthquake. And by the end of it all, the magistrates are showing up at the prison apologizing right. to Paul and Silas, and we know this incredible church gets planted there. Um, the church at Philippi. So it's, I'm, I, I don't like when MacArthur says we lose down here. Right. Because, because we don't. <laughs> because Jesus said, Jesus said before he gave the Great Commission, the basis for the going of the Great Commission is all authority in heaven yeah. and on earth has been given to me. And he also said the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. Yeah, and, and gates are defensive. That's what I'm saying. Is I, I, That's where I kind of find myself sort of in betwixt and between, so to speak, is that I am not one of these that buy into. We just sort of stay in our little corner of the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if that's the pre-mill or, or a-mill sentiment, I'm not that either. Yeah. Because I think we're supposed to be offensive. Right, and I, I don't, and and I think that offensive, uh, confident approach, missional approach, shouldn't be overly pessimistic about the 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 progress that we would make. Nor should we be overly optimistic. Mm-hmm. And, and 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 I'll just say this: I think I've probably said this before, but you compare Paul's first missionary journey to the second, in terms of 
success on the at the surface viewing mm-hmm. of it one looks like the first missionary journey looks like an overwhelming success and the second looks like an overwhelming failure in large part but it's not both had tremendous impact and and played both journeys played a tremendous role in the progression of the church moving forward and so i i, I don't know that I, I still have a lot of unanswered questions right. about all this, but um, yeah, and, and I think I think one of the one of the good things about our moment right now is a lot of Christians are realizing that they haven't attempted to think like Christians about everything. Yeah, whether it's how you think about COVID lockdowns, wherever you fall on that, mm-hmm. or however you fall on justice issues or or whatever, is a lot of people have realized, I haven't actually thought this through yet. Mm-hmm. And now they're starting to dig in on that. And that's always a good thing. Totally agree. Last question. And this is just the, the episode with names that kill me. So from Ferenc Zindley, still hasn't told me, uh, what do you do? When worship goes really, really bad. <laughs> so the church service, and he's 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 speaking from a musical perspective. Hmm. So what do you do when all of the notes in that lead guitar line sound like you stepped on a cat? Uh, or I guess what what do you do, Bradley, when uh, you you feel like you just laid an egg uh, instead of preaching a decent sermon? <laughs> Well, I mean, both have happened for me in terms of music and... um, When he asked this question, it brought to mind years ago, years ago, uh, I I had been playing here for like a couple months, and we had a fill-in drummer that we haven't seen since then, and we had to start a song (laughs) over. (laughs) We haven't seen him since. I don't know who you're talking about. Yeah, I don't even know the guys. I couldn't even pick him out of a crowd at this point. But we had some rando fill-in drummer because everybody was out of town that week or whatever. Okay. And and I think you were playing, and Probably. it was just so off that we just had to start. Over. We just had to start the song over. <laughs> we, I, don't, I mean, for one thing, I would say just practically, don't take yourself too seriously, man. I mean, because we, no one else does either. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, it's a it, it's a right thing to come into a worship service, you know thoughtfully and soberly i mean that's right and so i think that that's what we we come into it taking it very very seriously so it sounds like a a paradox to say don't take yourself too seriously but there's there's two different things at work there there's taking seriously what we're doing which is we're worshiping and we're singing truth that is very serious yep take that serious but yourself and your performance in that don't take that too seriously Yep. There's still an appropriate level of seriousness there. In other, you know, we've had many episodes where we've talked about preparation and excellence and that those things serve to maximize our attention on what matters and minimize distraction from what matters. So absolutely do that. But when it falls apart, we're all flawed human beings. I mean, on Sunday, your dad's bass in the middle of <laughs> in the middle of Stephen I don't know what he was doing, praying or something. It was before we went into Psalm twenty-three. Yeah, it was right before we went going into Psalm twenty-three, and and Stephen's <laughs> praying, and your dad's bass decides to hum like a, I don't know, like a like a you know single engine prop plane going over, and and Stephen just grinned real big, 
and and in the microphone he said, "Well, amen." <laughs> <laughs> and everybody laughed, and nothing was lost. In yeah, that, right. And so, yeah, yeah. I, when it goes bad, don't be afraid to laugh about it, and then get back to the seriousness that you know yeah. is appropriate. Yeah, and there's uh, I was actually talking with uh, Zach Jaquette on sunday between uh-huh. services and you know and i was joking you know we well the first service went well so the second service is just, of course going to fall apart and, mm. and whatever and he's like no i've never noticed anything i was like have you ever seen me just kind of jerk my head he's like that's that's when i screw up he's like i have seen you do that before <laughs> but but there's different levels of that too where it's like the eye roll man i should have i, I should have hit that mm. and then there's the and Certain people have picked up on it where, you know, glances get shot at other oh, people. Yeah. Of, oh, yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. That was bad. Let's yeah. laugh about it. Uh, yeah. But one one thing that I ha- I know I've brought this up before is, as I've heard Doug Wilson say, uh, a lot of times when we leave a church service, we think, oh, yeah, I liked that point in the sermon. This song was pretty great. That song, I don't care for it. And what we should sit- be saying is, I hope God was pleased with that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And and if you are worshiping in spirit and truth, even if the bass rumbles <laughs> in yep. the middle of a prayer, yep. or if uh, I completely uh, just kick a cat against a wall on a lead line or whatever, mm-hmm. God is pleased with that because it's not it's being purified through mm-hmm. Jesus in the first place. I, I think I would offer with with caution and fear and trembling. I'll offer an encouragement to everybody listening. Who, particularly those that are involved in, you know, worship on Sunday morning, um, I I would make encourage you to make a core value among your worship team and what happens on the platform. Uh, establish a core value of simplicity, and I'm what when I say that, I say that with the caveat that I, I'm not. I would never level a standard of simplicity across the board for every church. Yep. You know, for Res, I think we have a, a, a sense of what simplicity means for us mm-hmm. in those things. Uh, for another church, it might look different, but the 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 beauty of 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 going after that is that we minimize the potential for the kinds of complexities that set up train wrecks that are really distracting and do take away from corporate worship you know because (laughs) like that video you showed of the guy knocking over all the candles exactly (laughs) like trying to find yeah fix (laughs) for 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 one church you know candles might be the norm and it it you've got that whole system ironed out for another church having tons of candelabras on stage would would be a compromise of simplicity that's why i say it's different for every church but you know we have so much at our fingertips now, technology-wise, um, resource-wise, curriculum, songs, ways of doing songs, style. There's just so much that's available to us. I think sometimes churches get tied up in knots trying to do it all. Yeah. And, and, yeah. The, and the more you add, the more potential there is for train wrecks. And, yep. And I think, you know, be a good wise steward of simplicity for your team and your congregation for the sake of minimizing those train wrecks that just man it almost feels like it hijacks the whole service yep 
And at the same time, when the train wrecks happen, take what you're doing seriously, but don't take yourself too seriously. Yep. That's a good place to leave it. So thanks for listening to the Doxology podcast. Share the show. All that gets. Oh, man, your screen turned off again. Um, what else would I? What else was I going to say? I was going to say something, and your computer just ruined it. Anyway, love God, love your neighbor. Go make some music. We'll see you next time. Thank you.